Hi, and welcome to Carbon Podcast. I am your host, Chris Truscott Brown. Joining me is Peter W. Dawson of Hello. Pop Tower Podcast fame. Yeah, uh, sure. I I say that because I actually like really enjoyed last week's episode. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, right. Thor and everything, yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. I haven't seen Thor yet, but I love you finally doing the deep dive on Stranger Things. Yeah, we, we we held off on that, and I'm glad we went into it. It was a good season. Yeah. By the way, uh, uh, which podcast was this again? Oh, yeah. Still didn't say yeah. the episode number, though, you bitch. Uh, it's 421. Yeah, exactly. I'm still coming off my high. <laughs> I am still you very know, drunk. I think it was bad, because, like, I don't think the actual conversation topics were that out, far outside, but because we didn't have a plan, and because we were both more willing to segue than usual... Last it episode was, was screwed. It was pretty chaotic, and I love it. And um, did you see what I titled it? Yeah, um, something about monkeys? <laughs> yeah, because we got into a big thing about whether Castle Fun Park was a dumb name or not, uh, which it obviously is, but I'll allow you to be wrong. Um, but then at the end of that whole argument, I was like, Oh, yeah, that's what we were talking about. Um, Castle Fun Park has monkeys as well. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we got to do a whole thing about it. Kelowna Entertainment venues and Kelowna history, which is always fun. Yes. Some stuff's easier to talk about than others. I still don't remember when the Delta Okanagan was built. I want to say 94. I wouldn't know. Uh, uh, when was it built? Uh, 1992. Okay. Yeah. I was <laughs> Last re- renovated 10 years ago. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I said I was eight, and then I was like, mm. <sighs> wow. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Uh, so you're the same age that uh, Josh Hawley was when he ran away from the mob he incited. Go on. Okay, so, yeah. That was a great Uh, segue. Thank you. Well, it's not the best, but... So, uh, U.S. Senator uh, Josh Josh Hawley... Hawley, I don't give a shit, actually. It doesn't matter. Um, Who I want to say, objectively, using the term incorrectly, I know, he rates decently high on the list of punchable faces, regardless of political affiliation. Fair enough. I'm just... But, of course... You know, I have more reason to. I'll be the judge. Hypothetic- of that. Hypothetically, want to punch him, Josh. Oh, Holly, I see up at the top here. I searched Josh, and he's the first results. And... Yeah, he's in the news. So Emily was potentially going to join oh. us, but she is quite tired. Oh, he's quite punchable. Yeah, you know, like he doesn't rank rank as high as someone like um, Toby uh, Toby Stevens. I think his name is uh, the villain from Die Another Day. Like Toby Stevens, I think, who I don't think I hate politically at all, ranks really high. But it, which is why he makes such a good villain in films because he's like, oh, that's a guy you want to punch. He's which is not, a shame. He's not nearly as punchable as uh, the first guy. See, this is why it's subjective. Even though I tried to joke about it being objective earlier, I, I would say Toby Stevens. Like, especially if you look him up in um, when he's wearing his half a RoboCop from Die Another Day. Gross. Do you remember Die Another Day, Chris? Uh, I think I actually successfully blocked most of it out. Cool. Well, we can talk about that later then. Let's talk about Josh Hawley and stay on topic for once. So nah. he was a U.S. senator who was very much, no no shock as a, as a Republican, was very much involved in the uh, bullshit Stop the Steal movement. And I believe he was one of the guys who made a speech on the day, on January 6th. And then... Most infamously, there's the photo of him giving, like, the fist-raised, fist, fist raised, you know, encouragement to the people who were about to go start a riot. Yeah. And 
one of my favorite things that came out Plus of all of this. Ra- raised fist, just especially in that context, isn't a good look at no. all. No. <laughs> you know, like, I, I appreciate a raised fist in solidarity dirty in principle, but when you're doing that right before people are about to commit a terrorist attack... It now uh, looks a whole lot like something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um... Yeah, what really kills... So, at the um, committee hearing today, they showed footage of him running from the mob that he helped incite. Yeah. And uh, I'm just cause, like... Because you don't it's not mutually exclusive. You can be an asshole and a pussy at the same time. Well, most most 100%. assholes are pussies. Yes. Or 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 just dumb. That because too. if they weren't, you know, plenty of people, if they weren't one hundred percent confident, possibly to the point of self delusion that they could win something, they would run. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is this is common with all racists too. I just want to throw that out there too. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, there's that famous that famous photo that um, of two or three black people at a cafe or a bar or something, and they're surrounded by white people, and one guy confidently poured like a milkshake or something on them. That person would not have done that if they were one on one. I bet. Oh yeah, I can't remember so, the picture, but hundred percent. That's the only. See. I this isn't about race. Mm-hmm. I am meaning the actually confident people, which mm-hmm. coincidentally, if if they were black in this situation, that's not what I'm getting at. I'm saying the confident people, they probably would have been willing to throw down one on one or even just uh, three on ten. But the cowardly people that are actually the bullies, they only went after the three because they had 30. And those mm. that's about the only number they would be comfortable with. Yeah, that's fair. It's one of those things. People suck. How's that? Yeah, yeah. But my point is, you know, let's just say what Josh Holly did there would make a great definition for uh warp. Yeah. Or no, never mind. <laughs> you just sat in silence for like five seconds while I drank water. What the fuck? Yeah, I have the ability to cut that out. Except I probably won't now. Uh, I well, didn't no, no, like cut it. No, I didn't like what I was about to say, and I'm legitimately mm. just telling you I don't like what I was about to say, so I'm not going to tell you what I was about to say. All right. Well, then, let's move on. I, yeah, we need to move on because I legitimately hate all these people right now mm-hmm. and what is going on. Well, let's talk about some people we like. I'm pretty sure you like them. So, this last weekend... uh Sunday in particular, I went to uh, go see a little live show from a, a show I'm sure I've talked about before. You might have heard of it, a little program called Whose Line Is It Anyway? Oh, no. Can't stand those. And you're creating a lot of work for yourself this episode. Well, no. I, of course, love Whose Line. <laughs> Which crew did you have? Okay, so the current, uh, so this they call it, of course, who's live? Is it anyway? Because you know they're live. Yeah. Uh, the current the current touring crew is the same one I think that came in twenty nineteen. This is my third time seeing them live, actually. Um, the the current touring crew, I believe, is, or, or yeah, and it was last time too. Was <clears throat> what am I saying? I think I saw them. <laughs> Ryan Styles, Greg Proops, uh. Joel Francis Murray and um, Jeff Davis. Greg, Proops. are you now looking up Joel Murray? Yes. Uh, <laughs> as see, soon as I my, said Joel Murray, uh, my, for the people who aren't watching the video version, Chris looked down at his phone and started looking concerned. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
So my favorite crew, obviously, Ryan Styles, Colin Mockery. Yep. yep. That, that's a given. Favorite Who's Line crew has to at least have those two. Mm-hmm. I would also include Greg Proops and probably Wayne Brady as my favorite crew. That's a classic uh, crew right there. Uh, Well, there's one more, and I can't think of his name, and it's killing me. But the other guy that usually got tossed the musical bits along with Wayne Brady, because both of them are well, kind of musical. Well, a bunch of people that were also, because Jeff got tossed it, Brad got tossed oh, it. Oh, I think it's Jeff, actually. Hang on. Chip. It's basically if it wasn't Greg. Because, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, Jeff in particular is a very good singer. But, of course, Wayne is, like, I mean, freaking Wayne one mass singer. Yeah. What was he? Um, he was a fox? Something like that. I never really paid attention. Uh... Yeah. Well, it's, it's just... I I like that they can't judge the person on their appearance, but I hate how this results because they know they're celebrities or auspiciously supposed to be celebrities, depending on how you feel about the actual celebrity status of said people. It just leads to a lot of awkward name dropping. Yes. Which is why I can never watch that and show. Also, it wasn't uh, a Jeff at all. I'm dumb. Uh, Brad Sherwood. Yeah, I he, said Brad earlier. Okay. Yeah, so he would probably be my fifth fill-in if my main four, if any of them couldn't make it. But Well, here's the interesting thing. Brad and Colin sometimes tour together. Hmm. Yeah. And they also do improv games, but it's just the two of them, typically. Yeah. It's as opposed to this four-man ensemble. Um, also, hilariously, apparently Kelowna was their final stop in the Canada tour. <laughs> Did that. But they went to Vancouver first and then came back, and it's like, all right, we went across the country. Let's go back. Actually, let's stop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just, just to drop some history, the tickets for this event originally went on sale for July of 2020. <laughs> so two years <laughs> later, they finally made up for that. I mean, we've kind of had... Uh some shit going on in the world in those two yeah, years. Yeah. Uh, so they did it for two nights. It was great. I, got, I was front and center on the second night, possibly too close, but I did get one advantage because I was in the front row. I got the ability to submit a sentence for when they played the uh, sentences game. What you know, when the random submit, uh, I, I think I posted this in the chat. I might not have, I know, I know I showed it to Jesse because Jesse in particular would have appreciated it. I posted a resident evil reference. Hmm. It was turn the crank to access the clock tower. I, I don't think I would have understood that as a Resident Evil. Um, Resident Evil Three, which is also hilarious because they cut out the clock tower in the remake. Huh. I think it's still there, but you never go inside. I, I, don't know, I just always associate the crank in Resident Evil Three with the clock tower. I may not even be entirely accurate about that memory. Anyway, and I realized but, as I'm questioning you about the show. I'm asking the main cast, but I left out a person. Who is hosting these days? Oh, uh, on the on the stage, it's usually they take turns. Like, what typically happens is Greg comes out first to kind of warm up the crowd. Okay. You know, just kind of shoots the shit. Like, he doesn't really do, like, stand-up per se. He kind of does. But, like, there's a bit of audience interaction, you know, getting the people warmed up and also being like, hey, no flash photography, you know, remember this is improv, so it's your fault if you don't like the suggestions we use. Yeah. Because, you know, stuff like that. Um, And then they do have a musical guy. I forget his name. He's apparently from Second City, Vancouver, I want to say. And, um, yeah, apparently he's also possibly Ukrainian. I'm not sure. I know they referenced Ukraine at one point, and it was a whole thing. I mean, everybody um, is. Yeah. I mean, Canada, I think we've mentioned this before, is the third highest population of Ukrainians in the world. So. Um, yeah, but it, a few things happened in the show I wanted to mention. Um, yeah, first of all, I, I brought up the sentence, and that ended up being the first sentence they used, which brought me such joy. Um, oh, yeah, and I should probably explain who Joel Murray is. So Joel Murray is... Um, he was actually he's he's done a lot of like actual serious acting work, not unlike uh, Chip Eston. Like, and but he's also related to uh, Bill Murray, hmm. so he's from the Murray family of comedians. I forget 
the exact relation? Is he if he's a brother or? Um, I looked him up. He actually does look like a younger member of that same family. Yeah. Well, because he can also do a really good impression of No Shock, um, Dan Aykroyd, and also um, Bill Murray himself. So, what uh, era Bill Murray does he usually do? Sorry. What era Bill Murray does he usually do? <sighs> Trying to think, probably late eighties. So, like he, at one point he did an impersonation of Bill Murray in Jaws. Which okay. Was pretty, which was pretty good. Like he did the "We're gonna need a bigger boat," but like in a comedic, Bill Murray. Yeah. Just yeah. So that what, would what be like Groundhog Day, Ghostbusters. What about Bob? Kind of. Yeah, definitely not stripes. No, it was, no, that's too you know, early. It, 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 it was less straight man, more. <laughs> you know, just kind of like that was the around situation. the time he started to love to be Bill Murray, and then basically after that. He just made his career out of how much he loves being Bill Murray. Like, he almost does just a caricature of himself these days. Oh, he was in Dharma and Greg for 119 episodes. Joel Murray, not Bill Murray. Okay. (laughs) I was going to say, either way, wouldn't know. I knew he was on, like, Mad Men and stuff, too. Or, was he on Mad Men? I swear he was on Mad Men. I remember hearing he was on Mad Men, and now I don't see it on his IMDb. Oh, no, there it is. <laughs> yeah, he was in, like, 15 episodes, right? Because Mad Men wasn't... Yeah, he was a recurring. I'd never watched any of Mad Men. I, uh... I've i always felt like I kind of wanted to, but it just... I don't know. I never did. And at this point... I just don't feel like it's worth going back to. Honestly, like, I liked it, but I just, it never sticks, it stuck with me as much as, like, some other comparable shows. Like, you know, despite not involving nearly as much murder or death, uh, Sopranos, of course, stuck with me more. Um, Breaking Bad stuck with me more. Breaking Bad is one of my favorites. Um, You'll be probably not shocked, but maybe upset. Uh... I have never seen Sopranos at any point. And again, the worst. it's like, yeah, I think it's probably good. It's just at this point, it's a lot. And eh. I just, I have this problem where there's things I know I will like. But if there's too much of it, I'm kind of unwilling to start because it's just too mm-hmm. big of a commitment. And one of my favorite franchises, uh, Critical Role, Mm. I literally didn't even get into any of Campaign 1 when it was really popular, and by every description, I know I'm going to love this. I love D&D, I love voice actors, I love, like, fantasy shows. I actually was already listening to a D&D Real Play podcast at the time I started to hear about this, it was just literally when I started to hear about it, there was too much. There was a barrier of entry, and this is a barrier I put up myself. No one was gatekeeping. I just thought it was too much. I got into Critical Role with Campaign 2 when they started it, because I was like, I can start fresh with everyone else. I love it. And then I have since totally binged Campaign 1, and I'm midway through Campaign 3. Um, but if there's too much of something, even if I know I'm going to love it, I, I just have trouble with it. Mm. That's my what own problem. It's yeah. not anyone else's. And when I have pushed past that, I was that way with, uh, let's see, Arrested Development. Love it. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Love it. Uh, actually even Breaking Bad. When when I started watching it, mm-hmm. I think there were only like a couple seasons left, but it was still mm-hmm. far way in. I, I don't know why I have this problem, because every time I have forced myself past this problem, I've actually been really happy that I did. Like Game of Thrones. I actually came mm-hmm. over to your house to watch the series finale because yep. I was way into it. But it was like 
even by season five, I was just like, nah, I, I don't really want to get into that. And so I don't know why I do this to myself, but I constantly do. Oh, fair enough. Not really. <laughs> it's unreasonable. I just, I, I, I would say it's myself. unreasonable to not want to say, commit your time to something, even though you, you're pretty confident you might like it. Cause ultimately you still need to be in the right mood to start a commitment like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm forcing my roommate right now to go through double Zeta, which is a very controversial Gundam series to say the least, because the first half is rough. I've never even heard of it. But here here's a thing by <laughs> by all accounts that I am currently resisting and I might give in one day, but right now honestly I just don't want to. I've mm-hmm. literally thought every time anybody has described anything about Always Sunny in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. I've thought to myself, I would love that show. I almost feel like that show was made for me and I think I'm really going to like it, but I don't know if I'm ever actually going to start watching it. It's just, it's weird. <laughs> well, yeah, it's hard because there's a lot of shows you can episodes of that show. You can just watch on their own and they're great. And then there's other ones where you kind of have, where you're kind of like, wait a minute, you know, cause they do reference other ones. Like, um, I've got a random smattering of episodes. Um, on my computer, but some of them are uh, <laughs> are hard to watch if you haven't watched previous episodes. But then there's ones I'm like, you could probably watch this regardless. Like they, one episode I've shown people who've never so- watched the show before is the ski school episode where they, or, or not the ski school, the uh, one where they just go to the um, I forget the name of the mountain range, the mountain range near uh, Philadelphia where they go skiing, and it's like a parody of like 1980s sports movies. Yeah. It's it's pretty great to watch, regardless. There's a few things you might not get, like why one character insists on wearing a uh, duster the entire time, but because there was an episode about it, but it's like, yeah. you don't really need to know that. I have seen a couple episodes because Jesse has shown me a couple with the game Charlie McDennis. Yeah. I liked it. I still haven't gone to watch the show. It, it, in another sense community that show did nothing for me interesting matt showed me the diehard episode and then the follow-up diehard episode uh like with the paintballs i don't know if that was the best place to start but those are good episodes i liked them i really did and so i was like maybe i'll give this show a chance and i watched like three or four other episodes and i was like nah I fully hate this. I really do. Those episodes were the standouts for me. And I just genuinely do not like the show at all. And I have given it a chance. Do not care for it. You're looking. By the way, we need to talk after the podcast about when we were going to watch Goodfellas. (sighs) Sometime soon. (laughs) I'm working on it. Yeah. We've talked about reasons that make yep. it difficult. Well, I know. That's why we're going to talk about it off the, off the episode. Mm-hmm. But anyway, going back to before we got way tangentially off course, and I was just like, I'm just going to let Chris go. Uh, <laughs> I was going to mention <laughs> something else about whose line. Um, Please. Because it was funny, because we were like, so they had a piano set up, and during the show, it starts to rain outside. Like, it was kind of starting to rain. I walked from my place because it was close enough I could walk. And, and as I was so getting, I think you probably mentioned it, but please forgive me. Uh, where was it? Kelowna Community Theater. Okay. Which I think is the larger of the two main theater venues because I think the Rotary Center Theater is smaller. Can't remember. It's it like the Rotary Center Theater is weird anyway. Um, but yeah, we, I, I, I walked down and everything, and then like apparently, um, there's a leak in the community center ceiling. Oh no! Right above where the piano was. Oh no! Poor piano flare. <laughs> yeah, so there was a few. There's some good inside uh, baseball bits where it was like at one point he was putting a, a a napkin type or you know like some handkerchief thing on his head. It kind of made him look like a nun. So they started just randomly talking about nuns. 
Uh, yeah, it was interesting because like one thing that stuck out to me was that because Joel and Greg really can't sing, the two singers were Jeff and Ryan. And it was a very interesting dynamic because like Ryan didn't sing much on the original show. He can sing a bit and so can Colin, yeah. but both of them are obviously just comedians that can sing. Yeah. I can't really recall Greg singing. Is he that bad? Well, he, he's the one who probably sings the least. Like, he'll Which still do hoedown, I, but, like, I that... I can't recall yeah. him doing it. Did they do yeah, hoedown? Oh, of course they did. That was their encore. <laughs> That's good. Did they also do Irish Drinking Song? Because I go no, back no. and forth between trying to decide which of those is my favorite. And they're basically the same thing. It's just a different rhythm to go to, but... Yeah. Well, but it, I love it's both a different... of them. It's a different it's a different challenge because it's like hoedown you have to you have to get four verses in a row and two of them have to rhyme. Irish yeah. drinkage song you just have to rhyme with the previous person, but you have to string together a sentence basically instantly. Yeah, actually. So there, it's a different set of challenges. I think I enjoy watching slash listening to hoedown more. Mm. But I think I would enjoy participating in, and I think I would do better in Irish Drinking Song. I think That's that format, fair. I think I would uh, be able to do better. So Extra Life uh, 2022, you're going to do an Irish Drinking Song with me? Obviously. Why don't we do yeah. one right now? We don't have the music. It's not going to, it's going to, Chris, you know how awkward it is every time I sing First of all, because I'm off key, but just in general, when I sing and there's no music, like remember Extra Life when I insisted on singing Shiver My Timbers twice? Uh, no, I was busy, but I saw it in the, uh, like when I watched back and it was, I, I'm not even like blowing smoke up your ass. It was wonderful and exquisite. You're not blowing smoke up your ass, you're just playing line. I'm not. I loved it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Here's the thing. When we do Extra Life, we don't need to be talented or impressive. We need to be entertaining. And yep. you did that. And it worked, and it was great, and I loved it. Sometimes uh, people pay me to eat marshmallows off my nipples. Sometimes. I thought that <laughs> was your weekend gig. God, no. <laughs> Uh, it is amazing how much I take my shirt off for this uh, production. Yeah. That's something I try not to do. Mm. I don't think anybody needs to see me with my shirt off. Uh, so can I use shirtless men as a segue, or do you have something else? Uh, by all means. I am... <laughs> I, I have had a, a bit to drink, but mostly I... Like, five minutes before we're starting, our food I ordered on DoorDash uh, from Meltwitch, which is a local company. They do just cheesy, greasy fried food. So, like, I got a grilled cheese sandwich with bacon and mac and cheese bites. But it uh, it was running a bit late, and so... The food got here about five minutes before we had to start the podcast. So <laughs> I scarfed an order of mac and cheese bites and a grilled cheese sandwich in five yep. minutes. I am getting the uh, the cheesy, greasy food uh, thing. <laughs> it's hitting me. <laughs> this well, isn't well, well, this isn't alcohol. This is like, whew carbs and calories <laughs> well let me get into something but first real quick i want to mention Meltwitch. you called it local it's canadian to be specific i believe it originated in saskatchewan it's local because there's one here yes i just want to clarify because i i feel i know we're gonna get letters by letters <laughs> i mean people are gonna phone us <laughs> where you know, are they gonna uh, what how on earth would they possibly phone us, Peter? 
Uh, something cablozzle? I don't know. I don't have the number handy. I, I just want to get on with this so you don't shit your cablozzle. It is 1-833-222-1091. Yeah. Only some of the letters of cablozzle are in there. Cablozzle relies on using numbers with letters with no context on how to put it all together. It is a misleading number, and we need to stop talking about cablozzle because cablozzle is incorrect. Speaking of misleading numbers, <laughs> Shawn Michaels. But you don't know where I'm going with that segue. <laughs> misleading numbers. Um, I'm gonna. I'll no, do, I'm gonna make I'll, two guesses. One of them occurred to me, but I think it's inaccurate. Uh, I was gonna say lied about. Uh, some statistic, be it weight or muscle mass or something at a, something else, and then I realized none of that would actually make sense because all of this whole thing is based on lies. Why would we yeah. care about real numbers for anything? So, uh, when I rearrange my brain into kayfabe mode, I think fake numbers are. He bragged about either wins or losses or titles or whatever he gave a wrong number in a brag no uh misleading numbers the segue is in fact the fact that wrestlemania has stopped numbering itself since wrestlemania 30 so it's always misleading to figure out which wrestlemania you're actually watching because they all just keep keep calling it when, wrestlemania when was 30 uh i want to say 2014 15 oof and what have they yeah, done since? It's just WrestleMania again? Yeah, and then they have a stupid logo edition. Like, WrestleMania 31, they just had a play button. WrestleMania 32, they were at the Dallas uh, Arena, Cowboys Arena, so they had the Dallas Star. Gross. Anyway, but we're going back a few years. We're going to WrestleMania 25, because we were going to talk about Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. Undertaker? So, I've heard of that guy. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, these are two people you've probably heard of. Yes. Even if you're maybe not super familiar with Shawn Michaels, we did talk about him a bit last week in the, the whole super kick thing and how he does his mm -hmm. sweet chin music version. Uh, I have since looked up footage of him doing that. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> it looks great when he does it. Uh, so, quick bit of backstory here. Of course, WrestleMania is the biggest wrestling event in the world that happens on an annual basis. Um... In terms of sheer numbers. What's your average potential... attendance? Sorry? Your average what attendance. What averages... Yeah, average attendance of 80,000, so... Oof. Yeah. I mean, I think the one they do in Saudi Arabia comes close, because that's a lot as well. And, of course, they pay them a lot of money for that, but that's blood money, so we don't talk about that. Yeah. I'm just impressed, and, and I don't want to go too much into it, because you talked about this already... I'm impressed that they're pushing the boundaries and they actually, in the most recent one, got to bring their female wrestlers. That That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to say the whole thing is bad, but, and, like, they are kind of making some strides, and I do think that's still worth kudoing, but, mm. you know, just because we're giving their due doesn't mean, oh, it's no, fine now. <laughs> they, they have done plenty of shit. And I will not hesitate to say a lot of the, like, misogyny and abuse of the people in Saudi Arabia is terrible. And so even when a bad company does good things, I love seeing progress made in that country. Mm. That's fair. So, um, and yeah, I mentioned, like I said, WrestleMania... And it just gave me an idea for next week's wrestle or whatever we do in another wrestle chat, uh, because the biggest res wrestling event in the world is very interesting, which I'm not even going to mention. Obviously, next time you're on the podcast. Well, unless we something else takes precedent, but yeah, four twenty two. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, one of the big things that came about over the years was that the Undertaker was undefeated at WrestleMania. Like, this happened just sort of incidentally, because, like, Undertaker's first WrestleMania, I want to say, was the one in 1990, which I want to say was six. It might have been five. My math might be off. Um, 
No, it would have been six, I think. And uh, I think it was six. <laughs> it's hard to keep track <laughs> of these things. Because there was a brief period in 1990 where... Um... No, no, it would have been seven. Because he debuted in 1990 at Survivor Series, which was after WrestleMania. That was all off the top of my head. This sounds like when you're trying to keep the Animorphs and the Megamorph series in continuity order, even though they have different numbering structures. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's one of those things. Anyway. And don't even get into <laughs> the Chronicles books. My goodness. My God. <laughs> uh, I was expecting Animorphs, but here we are. <laughs> Always expect Animorphs when you're talking to me, Peter. I Anyway, <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> um, so this was the thing that kind of happened over the years. He just... It's like they didn't really pl start planning for it or like capitalizing on it until uh, I would say almost midway through the run when they kind of made made a point that the Undertaker was undefeated. And so this eventually became the excuse to start having big matches at, at WrestleMania with the Undertaker. And this led to the one I'm about to talk about, well, one, which is the first of two, actually which are probably two of the best WrestleMania matches of all time. Can I ask you one question that mm -hmm. occurred to me, and this is a random wrestling-related tangent. Mm -hmm. What is the largest, and by largest I mean most people involved, sanctioned match in that according to the fake rules who was supposed to be in there and not counting run-ins when you have dozens and dozens of people, but they're not technically part of the match. Um, I'd have to look up exactly how it's either going to be the greatest Royal rumble, which was a 50 man Royal rumble. Oof. And like, this is, these are the main, there may be an obscure one or like a comparatively more obscure one that I'm not thinking of, or possibly World War III, because I think World War III was three simultaneous... If it was 20-man royal uh, battle royals, then that would be 60. Hmm. I forget how many were in World War III. It might have only been 10 in each ring. Actually, I'd have to look that up. Actually, I think, if I had to guess, those officially sanctioned huge matches... Mm-hmm probably actually beat the unofficial run-in. I don't I don't think you would get run-ins in that number, would you? They You'd be surprised. They don't bring everyone to every show. Yeah. I mean, don't never underestimate WCW in particular cuz they're the ones that did World War 3. Okay. Like, like was World War 3 scheduled or was that run-in? That's scheduled, because, yeah, okay. um, this, is, this love, is a bit of a tangent. I love run-ins, by the way. Yeah. Well, there's some good ones, but sometimes they get old. It depends on the situation. But I was going to explain really quickly, because I just mentioned it a bunch of times. I'd be a fool not to explain. World War Three, three rings, battle royal in each one, where you have to get eliminated by getting tossed over the top rope. Uh, the winner of each one then goes into the center ring for one final, I think it's also a battle royal. I'd have to rewatch it, but because World War Three was just not as good as like some of the other concepts they did. No, because I was kind of thinking unreasonable amounts of people in one ring, like more than even yeah. fit, and them still trying to act like that makes sense. Not oh, unreasonable amount of people is a thirty-man battle royal where they're all just in the ring immediately. Yeah, which they've done at WrestleMania before. That is madness. I'd like you to find a good one of those for me and send me that i would like to oh watch i could just a 30 man just look up the one where shaquille o'neal faces off with the big show <laughs> just look up shaquille o'neal big show wrestlemania that's funny because shaq is absolutely a big strong dude and absolutely yeah. an athlete like the oh, yeah. the stuff he does for basketball I'm not saying he's unathletic he is not athletic in the way that suits wrestling entertainment. I can't imagine his match being any good. Uh, the one he actually had in AEW was pretty good. Hmm. But in 
my point in WrestleMania, like, okay, we're way off topic, but I, I love this telling the story. WrestleMania 32 had, it's a battle royal where um, all the wrestlers come out and then they have to eliminate each other and whoever wins is considered, like, you get the trophy of Andre the Giant in honor of WrestleMania. And so all the guys come out, Big Show, who won the previous year, comes out, and then unannounced, completely and totally randomly, Shaquille O'Neal makes his way to the ring. I mean, another and giant. Everyone, well, my favorite part is he's bigger than the big show. Yeah. One would say he is the bigger show. Anyway. <laughs> the big show is a big dude. Yeah. And it just resulted in uh, eventually both of them getting eliminated by everybody else in the ring, which is a hilarious visual. Anyhow. Um, <laughs> back to what we were actually talking about related to WrestleMania. So, Undertaker's undefeated. Going into WrestleMania 25, um, there's two there's two people who kind of want to face him. One is Shawn Michaels, who had recently um, tried to get out of like he he was basically an indentured servant to uh, JBL. It was a whole thing. They, they they capitalized on the fact that the recession was going on at the time because this was late 2008, early 2009. Uh, but then Shawn Michaels defeated another guy who was undefeated, and it was like, hey, I beat that guy who was undefeated. I bet I can also defeat your undefeated streak at WrestleMania, Undertaker. <laughs> so it's like, you've beaten six dozen guys, and then I beat one. So now that we're equals... <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, it's more like he's ending streaks. Because like, the guy he beat, Vladimir Kozlov, was undefeated at the time. Fair enough. Uh, so this led to, like, that's basically all you really need to know about this first match. Yeah. Uh, it's it's basically, because what happened is, way back in the 90s, Shawn Michaels was champion, and The Undertaker had a feud with him, and then that feud abruptly stopped when Kane debuted during their Hell in a Cell match. Chris, you like run-ins. <laughs> the very first Hell in a Cell ended with Kane making his debut to kick the shit out of The Undertaker, allowing Shawn Michaels to win. How do you run in... With the cell, doesn't it block things off? Or is there, yeah, like, but, access But Chris, points? you don't understand. Kane is so freakishly strong. Oh, did he bend the bars? I think he just tore off a piece of the cage. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. But, you what, know, it's like a, a hulking man and his hulking brother. So, wait, was this Kane's debut before they decided mm-hmm. he was Undertaker's brother? Or was no, that no, part of his, his debut? No, no, this was his debut. That was part of this debut. Okay. Like, the guy who played him, Glenn Jacobs, had debuted before as other characters, but this is when he debuted the Kane character, who would become his most... Anyway, my point is also, fuck Glenn Jacobs, he's a piece of shit in real life. Moving on. Okay. Uh, I think so you've talked rest... about that a lot. Oh, fucking hate that guy. Um, but yeah, this is that was kind of another thing they kind of capitalized on, was the fact that they were building up on a match that had uh, never really had a conclusion. And, you know, they they talked about the fact that Shawn Michaels had never had never uh, defeated Undertaker and Undertaker never defeated him. And so there was finally a chance to have these two guys who had been around since the 90s to really pay things off. And there's also a religious element, too, because uh, at the time, Shawn Michaels was a born-again Christian. I mean, he still is. But this is kind of something he'd been kind of... Because Shawn Michaels in the 90s was notoriously drugged out, drunk out, all that shit. And when he returned in the 2000s, he was, like, sober and, you know, found God and all that stuff. Good for him. Yeah. (laughs) So you've got him, who's very much proud of his faith, taking on an undead wizard... You know, so of course there was elements of, you know, the Christian iconography versus Satan, Satanist shit again, which fair enough. Was that when uh, Undertaker was, oh man, what was his, what was his manager? We talked about him even. Paul Bearer. Yeah, Paul Bearer. Was that when Not at the time. He was, but for a time he was undead and had been resurrected by Paul Bearer, right? That was the original inception of The Undertaker, because The Undertaker's also lost several Buried Alive matches, where it's basically been suggested he is, in fact, dead, buried alive, and then he comes back. 
yeah, the his original so, gimmick was even though he was called the Undertaker, he was actually more of a ghoul that got yeah. resurrected by Yeah, but the ghoul is a Paul shitty Bearer, wrestler name. But Paul Bearer was the mad scientist that resurrected him, but was also his father, except just kidding, he yep. wasn't actually his father because that was a lie. Um, because he's actually a manipulative manager, because, like, it, it's yep. hard to keep track. <laughs> well, one of his most famous promos has him scream in his weird high-pitched voice, Kane, I used you, boy! The guy yeah, who thought he was his son. <laughs> Kane was also Paul Bearer's son who wore the mask because he got horrifically scarred uh, because he was in a house that his father, Paul Bearer, set on fire. Except that was also a lie. I, I love this, but it's hard to keep track. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. But, um, so we can, I've been kind of talking about the the basic idea of what was going on with the match. Mm-hmm. The actual match itself basically set a standard for what to expect for a WrestleMania slugfest classic like it's one of the the highest rated like i said it's typically one of the highest rated match wrestlemania matches of all time uh comparable to the rematch they would then have which i'll get to yeah and ultimately Shawn michaels would fail the undertaker would defeat him but it has a great storytelling in the match itself where it seems like at certain points they have each other's number and so you get a lot of good stuff out of that. Like so it's a they, match. I, I, they start again kayfabe because they've practiced, like they've practiced insanely. But mm-hmm. in kayfabe, they've started to learn and memorize each other's moves. Is what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they they they've like really started to like predict what the other person's gonna do. But it comes off like that and not just like scripted because like I don't mind a highly choreographed match. But it can be hard to make those not look planned. Yeah, right? and I and I don't I, I get that choreography sometimes is required for complicated things, but I actually prefer when they they don't choreograph, rather they just learn to telegraph in a subtle, non obvious way. It's mm-hmm. it's less of a script and more of a dance, where you you don't really have a you have a general beats of the match, but you don't really have a I'll do this then this then this. You sort of signal, hey, I'm gonna do this, and then as you go to do that, he knows which way to jump or fall, because you told him what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, like, because, I mean, one of the things you can see in other matches sometimes is it'll look like... Like, a good way to do choreography sometimes is to make it look like the the one guy is just trying to show off, and then they're constantly trying to one-up each other. Yeah. So they're doing overly flashy moves just to try to, like, impress the crowd. That's and what to I show, liked like... about that one that we watched with Orange Cassidy and the other guy whose name I can't remember ever. Will Ospreay. That's the one. Um... Yeah, they were... They were great at making their choreography look more calculated. Well, Will Ospreay sticking his hands in Orange Cassidy's pockets, like, oh yeah, that was literally the first time I was even aware of Orange Cassidy. Didn't know that was his bit or his gimmick, but I figured it out oh, right then and there. Uh, you're you're still here. Okay, good. Uh, I figured it out right then and there uh, that that was his gimmick yeah because when will osprey stuck his hands in orange cassidy's pockets that was just like that that's beautiful they've done a few other things since with that like one guy pulled out orange cassidy's pockets and tore them off his pants uh they were starting to try to like work at that uh, in the Mm -hmm. run-in after that match yeah but they never actually got there because the other guy... This, this is a different match that happened since that pay-per-view. Okay. Yeah. They, they've had some fun with Orange Cassidy. Um, but going back to Shawn Michaels and Undertaker. So Please. Shawn ultimately is defeated. <laughs> you know, 
and he he there's a couple of points where he clearly made a miscalculation like narratively like obviously in the match no this this is all planned mm-hmm. right and as a result he's defeated and just sort of disappears so cut to august and bear in mind wrestlemania usually happens late march early april so we haven't seen Shawn michaels in a while okay triple h finds him randomly working as a chef in a restaurant <laughs> and so it's just like it's like sean what happened he's like ah, i just haven't been the same since <laughs> i didn't defeat the undertaker like essentially that's... that's what happened like it's it's partially comedic but there's also like an undertone of you know him having lost his way but then triple h is like oh come on man let's get the band back together we're dx g generation x <laughs> and so they reform their classic tag team and become tag team champions at SummerSlam. How many years has it been since they were that tag team? Uh, not that long because they did reunite a few years earlier. Okay, regularly. Reunite suggests uh, they had also not been doing it at that time as well. Yeah, like the original DX was like 97, 98. And Shawn Michaels after his horrible back injury in 98 had to leave the company for four years. And okay. then they had a couple of reunions, like probably the most notable one, I want to say it was 2007. Uh, no, sorry, 2005 to 2007. Okay. Um, so they'd had a mini reunion, but they'd so split this, off for the last couple of years. This was cool. Not just like, Oh, this again. Yeah. It's been a couple of years, and it's okay. you know they they needed a storyline reason to bring Sean back after his existential crisis, <laughs> and so joint. they <laughs> yeah. uh, they ended up um, just kind of going through the motions. Yeah, well, but like they were you know having a fun reunion, being tag team champions, but then at a this is such a stupid event, the Slammy Awards. Which is a it. fictional award show where they give themselves awards, and of course, the audience doesn't basically never gets to actually participate. I hate it, which is kind of why I hate it. Like, it's a you know, so it, ju- it just feels like awkward self fellatio, especially you know, take everything you hate about the Oscars and amplify it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a part of the Oscars I don't hate. I'll get back to you. Yeah, <laughs> um. So the Shawn Michaels Undertaker match won match of the year, which to be fair, a lot of people probably would have agreed with. Yeah. And then Shawn Michaels came out to accept the award. Undertaker was busy or something at the time. And Shawn Michaels is like, you know, I was like, uh, thanks guys. He's like, uh, I thought I could do it, but I just came up a little bit short. And then as he sits there and he just kind of stares off for a moment, he just suddenly decides, no, we're doing this again. One more time. And he like, you know, he just, he's like, I know I can beat you. So Undertaker, uh, who is, who at the time was world heavyweight champion, actually comes out and is like, no, we're not doing this again. You had your shot. Mm-hmm. And so Shawn Michaels is like, all right, I'll just win the Royal Rumble to challenge, challenge the champion. You. So <laughs> what does he do? He enters the Royal Rumble and then foolishly ends up on the outside on the other side of the ropes, which lo and behold leads to him getting eliminated. Mm-hmm. Gotta be more careful, Sean. That and was and the there's rules. a great, yep, there's a great moment where Sean Michaels is laying on the ground after he gets eliminated from the Royal Rumble, and he just like holds his forehead. He's like, "My God, what have I done?" And so as this is going on, um, he's also clearly distracting his tag team matches. Like he helps cost. Uh, DX the tag titles in a major match, and Triple H is like, "What the hell, man?" Oh, he also eliminated Triple H during the Royal Rumble. It's <laughs> supposed to be your buddy. Which is always awkward. Exactly, and I it's mean, always... it's not like this happens every other match where a buddy yeah. betrays another buddy. This is sacred. <laughs> you don't do this. Look, it's not the Big Show. The Big Show has betrayed every partner he's ever had, and he's had a lot of partners. That anyway, would be um, cool if they put Big Show in a partnership and the twist is it always seems like he's about to betray, but he's just loyal to the end. They they tried to do something similar with another guy once, but then he didn't end up betraying them, and I thought that was lame that they did ultimately pull the trigger. 
Anyway. I think it would have been better if they could have stuck to loyalty. Big Show was actually on a program where they asked him whether he was a heel or a face at the current time. Yes. And that was great. That That's the only <laughs> correct answer, is yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway. So after that happens, Shawn Michaels is like, I gotta get The Undertaker. So another pay-per-view before WrestleMania uh, has The Undertaker defending his title in the Elimination Chamber. I think I've talked about that before. Probably. Yeah, it doesn't really matter right now. But the point is, Shawn Michaels sneaks in and helps The Undertaker lose the match <laughs> and his championship. Which, of course, now The Undertaker's like, what the hell, man? So, lo <laughs> yeah. and behold, like, you know, Shawn Michaels is, like, ranting at Undertaker as Undertaker's asking for an explanation. He's like, I asked you, I begged you for this match. And you denied it to me. So I did what I had to do. And Undertaker's like, all right, we're having a match. And Shawn Michaels is like, sweet. Shawn Michaels goes to leave. Undertaker, on one condition. If you lose, your career's over. And Shawn Michaels, with a defiant comeback of, if I can't beat you, I have no career. Which leads to a fantastic... Betting your career is either a guaranteed win or a retirement. <laughs> mm-hmm. Chris. Remember when we talked about Stranger Things and Running Up That Hill, and you mm -hmm. mentioned uh, that cover mm -hmm. by that other band whose name escapes me for the moment? Lucid, I think it is, something like that? Uh, no. Um, uh, placebo. Placebo, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you threw yeah, me off with Lucid. A... I was like, wait, wait, no, no, no. Kind no, of in the same there. wheelhouse, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Placebo's version of Running Up That Hill is used for the vid for the final video montage for that match. And it is used beautifully. So if before you go to bed, I know I noticed you're falling asleep already. Oh I'm tired of stage but... I was falling asleep at the start of this episode. Yep. Again, I'm going into a cheesy greasy food coma. Yep. Rapidly. My point is if you look up uh Shawn Michaels Undertaker placebo running up that hill, I'm sure you'll find the video. It's a good video. I will Which check that out tomorrow when I'm editing this because I'm going to bed after this. That's fair. So this led to their ultimate rematch, and it was the main event of WrestleMania 26, not a world title match. Typically, the main event is a world title match. But if In you've got a lot of history with a match, it doesn't have to be the world title. One of the problems with WrestleMania 25 is this was like almost the final match, and then the final match of WrestleMania 25 ended up kind of being boring by by comparison. That's unfortunate, because, like, yeah. obviously they never try to make a less interesting show, but sometimes yeah. the elements just aren't all there, and the one you thought would be the showstopper uh, gets stolen. Like, again, I'm... I'm being lame, and I do want to and need to watch more wrestling to participate in these discussions, uh, because I keep bringing up the one thing I saw recently. Yeah, but, Forbidden Door is fine. But the Orange Cassidy match, that was not the headline. But no, it, no, no. But it was. That, that, it was that one stole the show. That one and the Sting one. Sting and his crew. Uh, Mainly yeah, because... Sting off the top of the tunnel into those guys. I know <laughs> I've brought it up on this podcast several times, but like that was a great fucking move. That was really good. Oh yeah, it was great. Especially if they faked it out and we thought he was gonna come down from the rafters like he did. Yeah, in they were like, Is somebody up in the rafters? And then he jumps off the tunnel. Because yep. maybe in the writing room it was the rafters, and then he's like, Yo, my brother, I'm in my 50s. 60s. 60s. I'm not getting up off no catwalk. You you want height? I'll do the tunnel. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> anyway, um, so this match was the main event, and it opens pretty greatly with Shawn Michaels doing the Undertaker's taunt to the Undertaker. Which is? Oh, it's, uh, it's kind of a neck slice motion. Okay. Okay, so it's a physical taunt. Yeah. So for like he, those of you watching the video version of the podcast, it looks like this. Yeah. Perfect. Shink. Yeah. 
Like you're using your thumb to slit your own throat. Well, don't describe it. This is the exclusive for the video version mm. of the podcast. All right. We can't right. have those audio scrubs getting an idea of what this looks like. Mm. Don't you mean plebeians? Yes, that too. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so they have a great match. You know, they're, they're doing kind of the same thing they were doing before. And ultimately, Undertaker's able to hit hit the move on Sean, uh, the Tombstone Pile Driver. Sean's down. He manages just barely to kick out in time. And he's like, Sean is clearly on his last legs. Weak, staggers, puts his hand on Undertaker's leg. Oh no, this will start, be the end of his career. Starts pulling himself up the Undertaker. And very defiantly, barely standing, does the throat taunt one more time. Undertaker just shakes his head, grabs Shawn Michaels, Tombstone Pile Driver, it's over. Mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels loses. Undertaker is 18-0 and 0 at WrestleMania. And Shawn Michaels' career is over. Yep. And that is just the way it was until Saudi Arabia ruined everything. Basically, if you put your career on the line, yeah. it's either a scripted... I said this before. It's a scripted gimmick... Where you have to win and be the underdog, or mm-hmm. it's just kind of a like, it's basically let's give the man his dignity while he retires because he can't do it anymore. If you yep. lose the title on the line match, you kind of owe it to not just the company, the franchise, you owe it to the product and the worldwide kayfabe of everybody that does this and loves this if you put that on the line you can't do a comeback you you can't <laughs> you've got to stick to it like there's an honor to this you you can toss around a whole lot of things but if you literally outright state it's my career on the line and then lose that match it's because you want to retire and do the respectable, dignified thing and actually retire after that. Any comeback, Yeah, that would be smart. Any comeback, I think, does the entire genre of entertainment a disservice. Oh, yeah. You're not wrong. So I'm sad to hear that he tried to come back after that. Well, Saudi Arabia paid a lot of money. But that was that was way later. Like he was he was legit retired for almost ten years, about ten years, and then he did that one comeback match and it was awful. And they were like, "Well, now we're doing that again." And I'm like, "This is why you weren't supposed to do the comeback match." I don't care who it is. Any of mm-hmm. these guys, you can pick the best guy at the peak of his game right now, and have him not practice or work out or like have him not do this for 10 years he's gonna suck when he comes back Mm -hmm. like this is not a walk away and jump back in you oh my no like you gotta stick with it and when you're out you're out or you claw hard to get back in but you can't just jump in and expect to even remotely be capable Sounds like a really disappointing, poor decision that was influenced by money. Good thing uh, that only happens with professional wrestling entertainment, and we've never seen people make terrible decisions and ill-advised comebacks based on a dump truck of money being backed up to their door. I'm so glad that doesn't happen in uh, Hollywood or politics or music or anything and wrestling entertainment has confined that mistake to one specific product. Right? Absolutely. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I was going to slip in real quick before we wrap up. Just basic wrestling rule is if your last match is going to be one-on-one, you go out on your back. You give your win to the other guy. Because yeah. in theory, they're going to be there a lot longer. Yeah. Just want to slip that because, like, this is a bit of wisdom is important, and 
I do have trouble with matches where that isn't the case, where they don't go out taking the L. If there's a final match and anybody wins on a bullshit technicality, fuck that shit. I want to see somebody, like you said, on their back, not kicking out. It's, It's a lose. Own the lose and take it gracefully, and that will be the best thing for the retirement portion of your career. Absolutely. So, all right. Since I'm on my back right now, yep. I am like M minus three to Muppet. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> I bet the video listeners are really going to love this. So is that outro? Three, two, one. Lipstick, trash bag, shatterproof glass. Tailpipe tread like grease and chrome. Front bumper, universal bearing. Aerial brake shoe. Shock absorber. Fireball.